This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Why Can't I Get It Together, written and narrated by Jamie Ivey, host of the Happy Hour podcast. It is available now everywhere you get your audiobooks. Karen Swallow Pryor, welcome to Viral Jesus. I was suddenly and viciously attacked and slandered by trolls. The intensity of those attacks went on for about a couple of years. And that's when I knew something was different. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. As a professor of communication and rhetoric at Colorado Christian University, I spend most days talking to my students about the power of your own voice and using your voice to empower, encourage, uplift, and reflect. And at its heart, that's what Viral Jesus is all about. In every episode, we'll talk to Christian practitioners of communication and social media. But since the classroom is my first love, we'll also take a quick minute to dig into some of the fundamental concepts of the field. According to a 2017 Forbes article, more than a quarter of millennials would quit their job in exchange for fame. 30% of millennials would rather be famous than become a lawyer, and 23% would rather be famous than become a doctor. One in 10 millennials would choose fame over a college degree, and one in 12 millennials would cut off their own family to become a household name. This is not just an American phenomenon either. A New York Times article says surveys in Chinese and German cities have found that about 30% of adults report regularly daydreaming about being famous, and more than 40% expect to enjoy some passing dose of fame their 15 minutes. Our guest today knows a thing or two about what it means to get attention. Karen Swallow Pryor is a well-known reader, writer, and professor. She is the author of numerous books such as On Reading Well, Fierce Convictions, The Extraordinary Life of Hannah Moore, and Booked, Literature in the Soul of Me. Pryor is known for her frequent lectures on her work and presence on social media and is here with us today to talk about just that. What does it mean to build a platform? Well, Karen, one of the first things I always like to do when people come on is to read to our listeners something that they've tweeted or posted on Instagram or YouTube or something of that nature. Now, in this conversation, I caught wind of this post that you did with a poll, which I think was just like kind of you've taking a feel for how people thought about this topic. And you just got slammed. Tons of comments. People apparently felt very passionate about it. So let me read for our listeners what you said, and then I'll read the poll options, and then I'm going to ask you a question. So what you said was, lately I see so much angst bordering on desperation from writers and aspiring writers about building platform more than actual writing. As someone who was 47 and had a PhD before writing my first non-academic book, I'm really wondering what writers feel is at stake for them. And so then you put some poll options here. One says personal validation, another one says income, another one says career, and then influence. All of them honestly, are very close. It looks like your top two that people responded with were 26% career, 26% influence, 25% personal validation. So almost right there. And then 22.6% income. 
Your follow-up tweet said, I know publishers require platform and they should. It's their money that's being put up. My question is, what is at stake for those who are desperately trying to get published? So this show is called Viral Jesus. All we do is want to talk about Christian content creators and how they're doing it and, and why they're doing it, this exact question. So my question for you is, what did you learn from this poll as you were sifting through? Were you shocked by the response to it? <laughs> Tell me. Well, um, I learned, first of all, that I really still wish that Twitter had an edit button. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, what did you want to edit? What would you um, edit it out? Well, some people were upset about the word angst and I think, uh, you know, okay. and, and or desperation. And I get that that. Um, but I mean, the, the prompt, uh, you know, some of the things I was seeing that prompted the tweet really did warrant that. Um, but of course, there's follow up. That's why I did follow up tweets. So I learned the distribution, as you pointed out, you know, the prize that it was a little bit that was as even as it was. This is not the first time I've brought this up on on Twitter. I've, I've brought it up a few times in different ways over the past several years. So each time it really does bring an impassioned angsty, um, varied uh, perspectives. And I would just say that the biggest takeaway is that we as Christians need to talk about this a lot more. So I am so glad you have this podcast because we really need to talk about what we are doing um, yeah, you know, yeah. in the entire public sphere and social media and all that, but particularly among those who want to be writers and quote unquote influencers. There's just something we are doing that I think is making those activities seem like they are more than they are. Mm, so what do you mean by that? Um, Actually, flush that out for me. So you said you've <laughs> asked this question a few times throughout the years. Why? What What are you seeing that makes you say, hey, we need to have a pod, like we need to dig deep into this issue. Mm, okay. Wow. So yeah, you're going to have to rein me in here because I there's so much I want to say about that. this. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, unless you want this to go yeah. for two hours. Okay. For me at the heart of it is, um, is our calling as, as Christians and, and then our other callings that may come in, in terms of our vocation uh, and what, you know, work God calls us to, each of us to at different times in our lives. And for me, because I am a professor first and a writer second, and because I'm married to someone who has, whose who's primary work is in uh, the trades and in building trades and, and is now a teacher, um, my understanding of work is that it's something that we, um, you know, that we develop skills in, that we receive affirmation from, from other people, and that, that we must do good work, no matter what that work is, and then further opportunities to do that kind of work follow. Mm. And so building a platform for the sake of building a platform is still very strange to me. Um, again, I think of, of, my husband and other people who do physical work. Imagine if they tried to, instead of actually doing the work and doing a good job, they were like trying to build a platform on Twitter. Right. Like, that just, that, that just wouldn't, I mean, the way that you build your, you know, your work is by doing, doing good work. Um, and so many people, especially, you know, writers because of social media are, you know, they're kind of 
confusing. You know, the tail is wagging the dog. So instead of working on writing mm. and being a writer, um, it's become like, oh, I can build a platform and then I can get published or get, you know, get the podcast or get this or that. Um, so those are the sort of fundamental underlying problems that I see. Now, I'm not blaming people who I think are wrongheaded in this thinking. There's a lot in our culture that's right. teaching this and rewarding this. And that's why I think this is a conversation that we just really need to dig into and have. Okay, I'm excited now. Okay, I <laughs> want to read to you a comment that somebody made. They said this, okay, about the desperation to be published, there's a romance about writing in broader society. I think that's true for both secular and Christian worlds. I also think, and I thought this is a very fascinating point that she says, she says, I also think my generation has a hunger to be known, understood, to be heard. We birthed the blog after all. And at the beginning, that was was never about publishing. It was about connecting with others, getting your ideas out there. I wonder if we were the beginning of a more disconnected real life world and if the digital writing space offered connection. So what is your take on that? Do you think it's true? Because I, I, I do think it's true that millennials birthed this idea of the blog and it was just something you did for free for even 10 people. Mm. And then that kind of has exploded and created what we now call influencers and all this stuff. How do you think blogging impacted the book industry? And and actually, let me ask you this. Do you think there's a difference? Is there a difference between mm. somebody, because I, I think I do think there is, somebody who's a good <laughs> blogger and somebody who's a good author? I First of all, that comment, I don't remember that one or who you wrote it. You had hundreds, um, so, Karen. You had hundreds. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to say that is a really insightful and sub substantial and meaty and wise comment. Um, and so, yes, I agree with sort of this history that, you know, when blogs came out, uh, I don't blog, I've written for blogs. And, um, but I was, you know, I'm, I was too old for that. I was already, you know, I was busy and teaching had a career when the young people were writing blogs. Um, but that did, th those popular successful blogs were seized upon by publishers, mm -hmm. you know, as an opportunity to, you know, to, you know, it goes two ways. I mean, it gave bloggers an opportunity to be published, but it also, I mean, publishers, they exist in a capitalistic society to make money. And so if they could publish a book by a popular biography, then there was um, money to be made. And I'm not, I'm not faulting that. That's, that's why how publishers um, exist. Um, so that is true, but, but yes, I think it has turned into something else. Um, I mean, I love the internet. I love Twitter and so and Facebook and Instagram for the reasons that this comment says for the for the the connection, mm -hmm. the social networking. Um, I have never have used them or even seen them as ways to um, develop my um, writing career. I mean, writing well and getting <laughs> is is and and writing knowledgeably and drawing on my expertise is what um, what has gotten me um, published. So I think the key takeaway I want to to address in that comment is the romance. Mm. There definitely is a romantic view of what um, can happen when one becomes a writer, when one becomes published, when one becomes a quote unquote influencer. And, you know, part of this is is built into the DNA of, of Christianity, particularly evangelical Christianity, because mm. we you know, our faith teaches us to evangelize right. and to evangelize is to influence. And so that is just part of what it is we do. I've always considered myself, I, I've always from 
wanted to be an evangelist for Christianity through social media, right. um, just like by demonstrating what it means to be, you know, have a robust faith and to be a vibrant Christian. So I completely get that. But I'm trying to platform Christianity, not, um, you know, not myself. Promote God, um, not self. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this romanticism is key. I mean, it affects other areas of life, too. I've I, In my classes, I often, when I teach romanticism as a, a literary period, I often talk about how it is, in my view, the source of a great deal of discontentment and dissatisfaction in our everyday lives because we've been taught to not to look for something beyond the things, the ordinary life that can right. give us joy. And I think a real counter to this problem, the idea of being influential and and being heard and and all these things is and and that giving us significance what does that say about the vast majority of human beings who've lived on this earth who've been nameless who've lived and died with no one knowing who they are besides their closest loved ones and family and friends i mean their lives are significant and valuable and worthy and to think about the medieval russian peasant woman longing you know being dissatisfied because she doesn't have a certain number of followers on twitter is just I, to me that just stands as a corrective i mean we need to look at who we are as human beings yes we are in a time and a place and and we can't deny that but we need to temper that with an understanding of what it's meant to be human for all of humankind i think something that you do really well online we had isa macaulay on it and something that he said was you have to be careful about the way you build your followers because he said the way you get mm. them is the way you keep them and i that mm. really struck me because it's you you know you see the people who maybe they have a certain viral tweet. And so then they're stuck in like this angry mode and they have mm. to always be call out culture all the time. Something I think you've done really well is remained yourself. I won't get into what the things are, but there are things I think that you've posted, even though you know your followers don't like it. And you say it anyway, because you're like, but I just believe this to be true. And I'm just going to keep saying what I believe to be true. And I, I think that some of the danger of building a platform is exactly what Esau was bringing up, which is that then mm -hmm. you're kind of beholden to the audience rather than just being able to be a creative. I don't know any of your thoughts on that. No, that I, I hadn't quite thought of it that way but that is you know Esau crystallizes something that's really powerful and true um I mean I do try to steward the platform I have well um but I've never tried to gain followers mm. on my platform never done anything they just they come through the work that I do and, and I try to steward that platform that I have well, that is very wise, that we're so in danger of becoming something that we don't want to be or that is only part of ourselves or is something destructive to who we really are um, if we, you know, if, if we build a platform in a way that doesn't reflect what we're all about completely as a human being. Something you just said that was very convicting to me because you said people will come based on my work. That That's just a really heavy... <laughs> statement. And I, I see a lot of value to all of us really just stopping and thinking and challenging ourselves about what we're promoting. And mm -hmm. is it really the worker any, mm -hmm. anymore? Or is it this idea of where we can go? Do you think so much of the desperation and angst that young writers feel today is just simply because of social media? And because I see, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was just talking to a, a 
director of pastors recently, and he was saying how hard it's been since COVID because now he has pastors calling him saying, you know, only a few hundred people watch my sermon. And I see this guy a couple times over with thousands of views. And now where you once felt successful, mm-hmm. right, with your work, mm-hmm. now I'm doing all this comparison because this guy has thousands of views. And so has God not called me? I had Doug Bursch on yesterday and he said, um, that there was like some church where people were worshiping a goat and they had 200 members. And he was like, and I'm watching like 200 people showed up to worship a goat and I can't get more 200 people in my own church. So he's like, of course I'm comparing myself now to the goat. So like, what do you think? How has Hmm. social media impacted this desperation and angst? I think it has magnified it, you know, 100, 1,000, 1 million fold. Um, We often refer to it as kind of a funhouse mirror, right? Um, I mean, we've even before social media, there's been a lot of discourse around, for example, just, you know, self-image based on advertisements and projections of beauty just just from the old old days of magazines and television ads. Well, now we just multiply that all those times with social media. So and I think this is what gets at how this is in some ways a generational thing, not that it's limited to that, but the the millennials are the gener and younger are the people who've grown up in this. And it's, it's probably harder to escape it when you've grown up in it than it is, you know, just kind of having watched it come along as I have. And that's why, again, why I want to have these conversations, because I'm not pretending that I'm completely immune to this. I mean, I do. I'm on social media far more than I should be. You know, I've got a blue check mark and I've got a large following and people will sometimes some of the comments to that tweet were in response to like, oh, it's easy for you to say you, you know, you have the platform, you have uh this this following and and yes that is true and I'm not I'm not denying that but I just want to make clear that I gain new followers when I get something published in a publication and the reason I get things or did you know 10 years ago when I had 100 followers the reason I got those things published was because I spent decades getting gaining expertise and credentials in my area, uh, in my field, long before social media was a twinkle in, you know, in um, Bill Gates's eyes or whoever, Steve, I don't even know, Steve Jobs' eyes. So it's the work. The work is the platform. I want to read to you another comment. This one's by Kate Boyd. And I thought it was a really good point. She said, I'm a woman whose calling is to build up the church, but my church tradition limits my expression of that call and my gifts. So this is partly validation for me of the call that I feel called to pursue. I don't see that call as limited to publishing, but I do think it's part of it. So my question for you is, do you think publishing is an important medium for the female voice in the church? This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, 
Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Uh, publishing has been an important medium for women since the beginnings of print culture in the late 17th and early 18th centuries. So the history of print culture is one in which, and the history of evangelicalism itself, is one in which um, women became empowered in ways that they were unavailable to them before modernity. So this is absolutely true. Uh, there's a sort of small d democratizing opportunity that is made, you know, first of all, through print culture when, and by the way, we've seen all this before, when the printing press began to print a bunch of pamphlets and, and all, all kinds of different works of literature and, and so forth. Um, and people began to be able to read them in a more widespread uh, way. Um, there was a lot of anxiety about print culture in the same way we have this anxiety about digital culture. Um, but we also have to understand that um, that calling calling is not something that's simply internal and subjective. Calling is something that, I mean, literally, calling comes from outside, right? It, we are called to something. Someone calls us to it. So we really do need to, as we're developing our callings, or our sense of calling, seek where we are being affirmed. Um, and so if we choose a particular church tradition uh, because we believe in its teachings, then we have to understand that we can't be called to something that contradicts those teachings. Mm. Um, and we also have to understand that just because we we have a passion for something doesn't mean that there is a need. Frederick Beekner has a great uh, definition of calling that something, you know, goes something along, but we're my greatest passion meets the world's greatest need. So that's at least two parts. So there has to be a, a need out there. And so I like to encourage people because, well, I, I think it's biblical, but it's also it's also what I've done in my life and it's work is to lean into, to use um, Cheryl Zandberg's term, to lean into the opportunities that do come your way. You know, your gifts will make your way for you, the Bible says. And so, so when an opportunity comes, you lean into that and that opens up more opportunities. And I just see, I see that's where I think the angst comes from is sort of a misalignment of wow. what you want to do and what the world is asking you to do. And sometimes like they can be very, very close, but it's almost like if you're trying to move a piece of furniture into, you know, a doorway and, and there's just, it's off by half an inch, it's not going to budge. So sometimes it's just a matter of just slightly shifting in order to find that opening that is there for you, for your passions and your gifts, and to stop rubbing up against the thing that, you know, that you have your eyes on that is not the right fit. This could be a whole other conversation because I think that that's really heavy and really important. I'm just thinking about, well, you're a professor too. I'm thinking about all the students that I serve and, you know, this obsession with purpose and calling and what has God called me to do. I don't know. Could you just lean into the, to that for a second, a little bit more? What do you say? Young person sits in your office and they're like, I, you know, I just want to discover my purpose. What do you think is, is all built into this conversation on purpose and calling as Christians? 
and then when we go online. Yeah, well, our purpose, of course, as Christians is to um, glorify God, right? And to Amen, obey yeah. His word, right? And so that, then then beyond that, um, again, I think that there, you know, there is a way that we make choices and we have free will and, and we, we exercise those. But again, I think just listening to what other people say, what other people tell us and the the gifts that they see in us and they call out in us. I mean, that sense of calling that comes from wow. outside rather than inside. I'm totally going to start quoting you on that. Because I, I always say to people, if you when they say, where am I headed? I always say, look back. Because I really, in my own life, I've seen God give me mm. experiences. And then I don't think that they're mm. anything, but they end up playing into something that he's calling me to later. Yes. So you yes. saying that I agree. calling comes from the outside. That's really good. I would tweet it if I could right now. <laughs> okay. You were someone who wasn't published until later in life. Tell us about pre- mega successful writer, Karen, without the blue check mark and the hundred followers, <laughs> what was she feeling? What was she writing? Mm. And di- actually did, did that Karen mm. ever feel mm. overlooked? Did you understand the angst mm. back then or, or was it not even on your radar? Mm. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, so the pre blue check mark <laughs> published Karen, um, was an English professor. You know, I, I went from my undergrad program. I didn't know what I, I had no idea what I wanted to do, Heather, when I finished college. So I did the default thing and went okay. to grad school. Um, so I had done an internship in a, in a marketing office and learned that I hated marketing and I hated cubicles and I hated pantyhose <laughs> and I hated working from nine to five. So I went to, you know, providentially was accepted into a PhD program uh, at my state university and, and pursued that. I wasn't even planning on teaching, but along the way discovered teaching. And so I was well launched into a a teaching career. um, And I did, but I did enjoy writing. When I was in college, I dreamed of someday becoming a a, a syndicated columnist. I love writing op-eds. I wrote, would write letters to the editor and little op-ed columns. My first, uh, my first op-ed was published, uh, national op-ed was published in USA Today, um, describing my angst as a um, Gen Xer at the election of President Bill Clinton. Um, So that was my first national piece. That was even before, you know, there was no digital media then. It was in the actual print Mm. newspaper. I went on to teach and just sort of dabbled in writing here and there. But my, you know, I understood my primary calling to be a teacher and professor. And it still is today. That is actually what fuels all of my writing. And everything else just grew out of that. I I was um, wrote a couple pieces in a small publication, met someone at a conference that had nothing to do with, um, with, with writing, and that someone turned out to be an editor at Christianity Today. I was then asked to pitch some articles there. I wrote for Christianity Today for a while, uh, worked very, very hard at it. I was burning the candle at both ends, got contacted by The Atlantic. Um, an editor there was reading my pieces and asked. I was asked to write for them. I mean, all of my writing opportunities initially came from invitations mm. um, because I did small work in small publications, did my job, went to a conference, met someone, um, and just that foundation, that platform of work that was done, even though it was small, just kept accumulating. And um, that's how the doors began to open. So this is going to sound like the same question, but I promise you it's not. So something Mm -hmm. I love asking people is, did you know? Was there something 
think nine years old, 10 years old, did you feel like God was, had put on your heart, I'm calling you to this big thing one day? No. Or, so no, no. it was just like no. these little doors and all that. Yes. So let me ask you, so have you been shocked yes. to look back? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like you were reading my mind. No, I had no, no visions of this, no understanding of this. And, and to be completely honest, to be completely honest, I'm, and I'm not complaining. I mean, I really, my, what makes me happiest is just being at home, reading a good book, being with my husband and my dogs and running. And I love that life. That is the most important thing to me. I love, I, I used to actually be a, an extremely private person. Uh, my husband's still very private. So this is a little, you know, he, wow. <laughs> he would never. Um, and so I, I'm obviously not <laughs> as private a person anymore, but um, this is, this, this is what I, I just never, never dreamed of this, never wanted it. Um, it is what God has called me to because not, because that call came from outside. Right, um, right. And I'm 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 here for it. I'm here for it. And if 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 it ever ends and I go back to being someone that no one ever pays attention to, uh, I'll just keep reading my books and writing occasional letters to the editor. And um, <laughs> no, I do and I I do enjoy writing and I've become a practiced writer. So of course I want to keep writing and, and influencing in that way because now that is what I've been training and de- developing over the past, you know, 10 or 15 years. Um, but I was not anything that I ever imagined or asked for or wanted. I think it's so important that people listening hear people say these things because I will tell you almost everybody I ask that question to says a very similar answer hmm. that they didn't have. So that tells you something. Hmm. If the people who get two levels of success that the rest of us look back and say, that's where I want to be, they weren't trying to get there. Right. Right. right so right. it was a path that God had paved for them. I just think that's really powerful. Who mentored you? Anybody? Well, you know, it's been throughout my life. I've been, I've been surrounded by good people. I mean, I good. have good godly parents. Um, God brought me a good godly husband. I've had good pastors. Um, I can't say that I have been mentored intentionally by anyone, you know, in my life who was like older than me and, and took me in. I've always been more of a, of a leader, even in my own small circles, but surrounded by, by good people. Do you envy it? Do you wish you had a mentor? Are you open? Should I put out a call? Karen's looking for a mentor. Send your letters. Guess, it's, it's never too late, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, let me say this, though. I always seek counsel and advice. Um, maybe mm. not from the same person, but when I, I mean, sometimes it's even just there are people in my life and uh, I, I turn to them, whether it's friends or bosses or colleagues. I want wisdom from other people. And so I go to people when I need advice or input, which is you all the time. Many advisors. Yes. Not yes. just a single one. Right, right. Was there a moment for you in your career? Was there a singular moment where you said, okay, what's happening? There's something very clearly shifting here. A turning point, a tipping point, as Malcolm Gladwell would say. Well, there is, um, but it's a negative one. It's when in 2015, I was suddenly and viciously attacked and slandered by trolls. The intensity of those attacks went on for about a couple of years. And that's when I knew something was, wow. was different. That people, you know, cared enough to know what I 
thought or, or believed uh, and, and cared enough to actually make up things about me and misrepresent me. And um, that was a very, very intense time and very, very difficult, actually. It had physical mm. ailments as a result of it and so forth. And it just, uh, that was a turning point. Can I ask what precipitated? Where did these attacks come from? Um well, basically, because I gained an appointment uh, within my denomination that is very, you know, was then and continues to be very divided, I was working under a person who had been and continues to be attacked a lot. And so, as I understand it, attacking me was a way of attacking mm. him. Um, and so I was just sort of a pawn. And so that, that's sort of the big answer. But the small answer is that... Um, is that I, I'm also someone I recognize that I'm someone who doesn't fit into the categories of that people are comfortable mm. with. So I am, a you know, my doctrinal and religious convictions are, are conservative, um, but I don't look like the typical, I, and I don't mean just physically, I mean, I don't look like a typical conservative and I don't act like one because I have wide friendships and wide associations. Mm -hmm. And so I understand that those things can be used against me to make it look like I believe things that I don't believe. And that's, that's what happened. Um, so part of it was, you know, part of it was sort of the political um, climate in which I became involved, you know, in, in my religious denomination, but also uh, it's kind of who I am as someone who doesn't fit into, you know, in the past few years, we've seen a filtering where a lot of us are sort of flailing about because we don't feel at home in our, right. old, you know, categories and associations. So that is ongoing now. Um, but this was sort of the beginning of that, I think. Um, I'm who I've always been. I've, you know, before, again, before social media was ever invented, I was someone who was always like doing dialogues with this person and that person and being friends with this person or that person. That was always the case for me. Um, especially as a Christian growing up in a very secular liberal environment, that was the necessity as well. Mm. Um, but then all of a sudden digital media just magnifies everything, distorts it and decontextualizes it. So it becomes easier to kind of pre present a picture apart from context or words apart from context. And people can judge based on that. What do you say to somebody? And I actually wasn't even planning to ask this, but I'm curious now. And I think it's an important question because so many people are struggling with church hurt and feeling attacked. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that you identify with, and yet you're committed mm -hmm. and you stay. And I think that's an important conversation to be had from somebody who knows actually what it feels like to be deeply mm -hmm. hurt by the people that, you know, are supposed to have your back, mm -hmm. are supposed mm -hmm. to be your community. What do you say to somebody listening mm -hmm. right now who is in the thick of that, who feels very ostracized mm -hmm. from the community that they've always been a part mm -hmm. of. What do you tell them? How do we stay? How do we stay committed? You know, there are a couple of things because this is, a, yeah, this is a question, you know, that I've obviously had to ask before. Um, in, in some ways, the body of Christ, the true body of Christ, and I don't mean just the imposters or the, the wolves and so forth, the body of Christ is a family. Right. And so we operate as a family and every mm -hmm. family, ha you know, we, we have the people that we wouldn't choose to associate with and we have the political disagreements and we have the people we'd rather not see at Thanksgiving dinner. But we have to. Uh, the church is like that. And so we have to understand it's like family. And that is for mm -hmm. our good, because those rough edges around our familial relationships do make us better and they challenge us in the best ways. And so does the church. The other thing is there's a um, passage in Philippians where Paul says when he's in prison, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but he says he knows that there are those who preach Christ out of envy or pride. And he says, 
what does it matter as long as crisis proclaims? And so it's like I wow. can point to people and, and wonder if they really are true believers or if they're wolves. I don't know. And I can look at them and the envy and the pride is clear in what the, how they act. But it, if they are proclaiming Christ, Paul instructs us to rejoice in that. And so it's by keeping our eyes mm. on Christ and remembering that the church is his bride. Um, and if we love Christ, we must love his bride. That's beautiful. I know I have to ask you this last question because it's a question I get asked a lot. I am positive you get asked it a lot. And so I know somebody is listening and they're going to want me to ask you this question. An aspiring writer says, I want to write a book. It's been my dream. Mm -hmm. I always want to write a book. What do I do? Karen Swallow Pryor, what do you tell them? I tell them to work on writing as a craft, to write the small things first, get the small things published first. And the way you learn to write better and the way you connect to those who publish your writing is to go to writing conferences. You go to mm. where other writers and publishers are. They won't come to you. They shouldn't come to you. You should do the work to go where they are. And it's the conferences primarily uh, where you'll find them, whether they're small ones or big ones. Uh, and I know, you know, in COVID that that didn't apply. Hopefully we're coming out of that or go online. But you work on your craft and you prove yourself to those who have the power to publish your writing. Start small, do the work, get good. Thanks, Karen, for joining us for this week's episode. We like to end every episode with a little segment I call Growing Viral. And this is where I scour the Viral Jesus hashtags on all of our social channels and look for someone who maybe you haven't heard of yet, but you should certainly be following as they grow viral. Today, we talk to Madison Hart. Madison is an outdoor leadership student who loves God, loves nature and the church. So Maddie, if you could tell us about M's Inklings, and that is with an M, just the letter M, apostrophe S, Inklings on Instagram, and it's a blog you run. Tell me about that. How'd you get started? Yeah, for sure. I've always loved writing. And um, in the last few years, especially being in college, my passion and love for the Lord has really grown. And I found that a lot of people were feeling very alone as Christians, feeling like they were going through some pretty big things by themselves. Um, and I was feeling that personally, especially my sophomore year of college last year. So I really want to be able to open up a platform through that, um, just to share my personal experience and what I'm going through and be like, Hey, it's okay. If Christians are dealing with these various topics, struggling with prayer, whatever the case may be. So if somebody, if they go to your Instagram right now, M's Inklings, which they should go to right now, M's Inklings on Instagram, what kind of a post will they see? So I do a variety of posts. I'll do a big blog post about once a month. And then here and there, I'll do what I call inklings. And it's, I either share a quote um, from a famous Christian or theologian and kind of share my thoughts on it, how it can apply to our lives um, in the everyday. And then, yeah, just sharing like sometimes just funny stories too, just really trying to be relational. Um, yeah, and make people feel not so alone. Well, this is Maddie Hart. She is a student at Colorado Christian University, and you can find her on Instagram at M's Inklings. And I hope you will check her out. Thanks so much, Maddie. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. 
please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and rate us on your preferred platform. Join us next week as we talk to the host of the Gospel Coalition Canada, Dr. Ian Clary, where we discuss how to survive online trolling while creating Christ-centered content. See you next week on Viral Jesus. Thank you.